Hello everyone, and welcome back to Dean's Mean Ranting Machine. <laughs> I hope you had a great week, or a couple of weeks in the past. I, um, I can't remember when I last time uploaded anything. My mind doesn't work uh, very well. I'm, <laughs> I'm very often lost in my own thoughts, and I have no sense of time. Absolutely none. <laughs> Never have, never will. It's it's all just a blur in my head. But that's okay. I'm sitting here with my old BlackBerry phone. In case you ever wondered what kind of phones I use, I'm a diehard keyboard freak. I love keyboard phones. I can't afford all of them. It's not possible. And aside from that, also not very wise to do that. But having at least one or two that are sophisticated enough, well, it will get me through the day. I have the old, one of the last uh, TCL models that were produced in China, the BlackBerry LE, Key 2 LE in red, actually. I got it for a pretty fair price, around 200 bucks, during a Black Friday sale. And I'm currently using my Unihertz Titan as a daily driver in case you you are interested what kind of brand that is i'm gonna give you a link to to unihertz directly you can check those things out in case you're interested i might make a podcast concerning the keyboard matter and how these phones are dying slowly and maybe coming back to life at one point you never know but that's a different topic i am talking today about something else that bugs me again because everything does in the end um last time i talked about uh, one of my favorite horror films and how bad some of these new films have become or let's say the majority of the movies have become pretty bad um the other other issue that is still bugging me that i haven't touched upon is uh or are the reboots and remakes of old established franchises and movies that shouldn't be remade unless you know exactly what you're doing. And let's face it, when Hollywood comes to that decision, they rarely know what the fuck they're doing. Because they're Hollywood, right? So, it's always the same. Now, I don't want to say that every reboot ever made is crap. That's of course not true. That would be... uh, overestimating the situation i guess and uh, i don't want to tell any any lies (laughs) in this regard but um there are quite a few examples that stand out how well uh, the remake has been in comparison to the original or complementing the original by giving it something new and refreshing that we haven't seen before while the story still remains intact or becomes even more uh, an increase in quality, if you will. And I think one of the best examples is John Carpenter's The Thing, which I know has been discussed to death as being one of the greatest horror films ever made. Uh, rightfully so. It's not my personal favorite, but it's a great film to rewatch every now and then. And the original movie that some people have forgotten. Uh, which is no wonder it was made in 1951, as far as I remember. I don't remember the cast very much. I haven't seen this film in ages, and I'd like to rewatch it once my movie screen is up, which is still going to take some time. 
I hope I can get it done next week with the shelf and all that, everything that I had planned. And that's what I'm doing pretty much day in, day out, with the exception of today, because in Germany today, it's Father's Day. I'm not sure what it is in America, but today we celebrate the man with a ball sack. Good. Well, back to the movies. Um, the original, as far as I can recall, was... An astonishing movie. The the fifties movie has a flair and there's and a, and a charming, let's say, cinematic atmosphere that you only find in movies from that era. And uh, personally, I have some old but but great reprinted or reissued EC Comics material that is a purely. I mean, I have it in the back of my my shelf here, right next to me, which you unfortunately can't see. It's, it's a collection of all science fiction comics. Uh, I, at least I hope they're all uh, the, the entire sci-fi catalog from the 1950s where um, absolutely fantastic and talented artists have created uh, complex visuals with very interesting storylines that really touch the sci-fi bone. And the movie era of that time, I think, was not really on par with the comics, but they had their own taste, I would say, or their own universe and technique of storytelling compared to what the comics brought to the table. So you find better quality in movies sometimes, you find better stories in the comics, and it goes back and forth, and I think that era shares that very well. And in in the 80s, it was a bit different. The movies were getting more sophisticated, more effects, of course, more practical effects, for that matter, more money, and a lot more experimentation, and and people willing to risk something, like John Carpenter did, because the remake was, as far as I'm concerned, his idea, because he loved the original, and he'd like to, to make his own version of it without insulting the original. And I do believe that he succeeded in that matter uh, wholeheartedly, and... and he made a movie that, that just will be remembered as one of the greatest remakes ever created by someone who knows his shit. And I will always respect that. It's just wonderful that somebody actually did that. You can also compare that kind of remake quality with the outstanding movie The Fly with Jeff Goldblum back in the day when he was you know, a young stud with wild hair and all that. And uh, I, I can't remember his counterpart in the movie, but it was also a very, very famous actress. Um, I, I think I have the Blu-ray somewhere uh, flying around here. Um, I also saw the original, which was in parts, I think there was a guest role or a side role from Vincent Price. And I did like the original a hell of a lot. It was a great movie. Again, one of these, you know. I can't remember the year when it was brought out, but it was um, it was a pretty memorable movie. With even though it was a low budget film, uh, it was still very well made. The story was compelling, and the anticipation towards the end, because you knew what was coming, the reveal of the the, the fly scientist, that was actually pretty well done. I did like that movie a lot, but the new one complements the original. Again, in a very interesting way, without destroying the original idea, at least in my personal opinion. 
and um, it's it's also something that that somebody should look out for. Maybe watch both movies, and then you can make your own opinion which version you actually prefer. Um, it's it's sometimes harder for me to prefer the 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 remake all the time, even though they are both really fantastic, the fly and the thing. But um, I think just in regards to how these movies have been produced and how they've been executed. Um, you really can't go wrong there. The Fly Part 2, for example, that's a movie I haven't seen. I, at least I don't remember seeing it. I don't think it's that good. Maybe I should try it out once <laughs> in a while and see if that movie works for me. But uh, I'm not very heavy on the sequel to The Fly. But in today's world, though, um, the the reboot era, I thought I, I I wished for it to end, really, but it just doesn't. It just it keeps reemerging because Hollywood still tries to make some money, and as as usual, it's a very calculated, precise process, and it's never about the story. It's never about anything substantial. It's always about bringing out a movie every now and then that has something to do with horror. And if it's a reboot, well, fine, we have the material, we got the ideas, the original script, let's rewrite it again, get a new cast, new faces, we've got tons of special effects that are getting cheaper today because so many different companies create these uh, visuals. Uh, so there, there you go, it's just a formula getting reused over and over again, but the reboots are, in my opinion, the most annoying ones. Okay, and I think... Uh, one good example that I'd like to address would be the Star Trek franchise being completely ugh, ass raped, if you ask me. Okay, I'm not really, I'm not really happy about it. I am, I, I, I don't know what to think of J.J. Abrams at the moment. I'm not exactly a fan of this guy. Okay, I know at least I remember him to be involved somehow in the storytelling of Lost, the old TV show. Uh, dare I say old, but, you know, time flies. And I did watch every season of that TV show, and a part of it was, especially the first three seasons, were just mind-blowing in, in, in the technique of storytelling. But later on, when the story kind of deteriorated and just blew apart in so many different fragments and pieces, that the movie, uh, the, the, the show and the storyline never started to make any any sense. I mean, it never made sense in the, in the beginning, but it, it just got worse over time. And, and the suspense of what you would want from the show, the anticipation for an answer, looking forward to a conclusion, to something revealing itself, just uh, kind of vaporized in the air because... Some people don't want to tell you what the secrets really are, and you don't have to explain everything, but you have to give the audience at least something. And I think Lost pretty much butchered that potential in the end. I mean, the ending itself was not for everyone's appeal, I guess. I did like it in parts. It was very emotional, but, you know, it, you could have done it much better, seriously. I mean, we've, we've seen TV shows that are just mind-blowing, and we have seen TV shows that started out great and just destroyed themselves. For example, before I come back to Star Trek, I, I re uh, recently binge-watched a show that I personally uh, wasn't even aware of 
that it, that it existed, which is the strain. The strain is a, is a very modern version of what vampires could be like, or a reinterpretation of, of vampires. I think, uh, what was the name again? I have to check that. I don't remember. Let me just search for it real quick. I'll make a pause here and I'll be right back. Right, so here I am back again. And uh, the show was created by Guillermo del Toro and a guy named Chuck Hogan, whom I'm personally uh, not really know who that is. But uh, it stars Corey Stahl, uh, David Bradley, Kevin Durand, and a few more. And the show is pretty well done, for the most part, at least. The first season was Genius, pure genius, and then they recasted um, from the lead actor, his boy, a different child actor playing that son. And if you just see that face of that kid, you just want to take a baseball bat and, and crush it. It's, it's an absolutely annoying, annoying brat. Badly written, badly acted, and just completely useless for the storyline, really. It's just, it's like they had to press in that child into a completely different direction forcefully to give it more depth and meaning. And, and that doesn't work at all. That's one of the things that ruined the show over time. And the last season, well, was a bit underwhelming. It had some good parts in it. And uh, at least um, a great showdown in, in some points. But... Uh, it could have been a lot better anyway. And what I do like about that TV show is the reimagining of, of, of the vampires, how they were portrayed. Instead of just having some fangs, they had like this, this gigantic stinger that comes out of the mouth that is almost over a meter long or something. And they try to, you know, get pretty much every human as fast as possible. The strain is basically... Well, the vampires are not just some mystery creatures that come from some unknown dimension or from an old time in, in, in the medieval days. Not just that, but it comes with a completely different and more uh, imaginative biology behind it. How they re uh, reproduce, how they uh, uh, capture a host, how they use the host to survive and so forth and then you know, spread this, this kind of disease through uh, tiny little worms that float around the body. It sounds absolutely disgusting. You have to see it to understand what I'm talking about. The, 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 the vampire is a parasite. It's not really just a vampire like a demonic figure. It's a parasite. And nobody knows exactly where it comes from. And it's beautiful in, in storytelling, at least for the most part. Like I said, the first season is just really absolutely genius. And it's, it's like you take Buffy the Vampire Slayer and you make it more mature for the, for the adults. And it really stands out on its own until, like I said, they start to butcher the series with idiotic ideas and the recast of The Sun. If you have nothing else to do during the pandemic and you've never watched the show, give it a shot. But I have to warn you, the child is menacing. <laughs> well, back to Star Trek then. Um, Trek and J.J. Abrams. Look, um, I grew up with Star Trek being one of the greatest TV shows 
of all time. And I know it's a nerd factor. A lot of people don't really enjoy Star Trek. We, we have very divided uh, viewers and, and, and nerds out there. One side says Star Wars is better. The other side says Star Trek is better. I was never really too much into Star Wars. But I have to say, ever since Disney took over, Star Wars is shit. It's complete trash. And I'm not the only one with, with this opinion. I was in, in the movies, in theaters, I saw at least two of the new movies. And I was, I was completely disappointed. It's so un- incredibly badly written. Okay, just taking old ideas and rewriting them for a new audience is not always the way to go, especially the way they did it. And in and, and, and Star Trek, the first movie from Abrams was not necessarily terrible. Uh, it, it had, of course, a lot of potential and it has in parts great storytelling, but the majority of the movie is all about uh, a fast-paced dynamic action and that's not what Star Trek is about, I'm sorry. Star Trek is different. Star Trek has always had something to do with a utopian future and a style in, 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 in storytelling, in talking, in dialogue, the style of the dialogue, the philosophy, and the code of conduct being lived in that universe was reason enough for people to watch who were susceptible to this kind of stuff and understood the message while still being educated from episode to episode about life. That's what made the show great. Not the ship, even though the ship was great and beautiful. Uh, Not the phasers, not the photon torpedoes. That stuff was eye candy in between. The rest of the show was always about the measure of a man, if you will. And I'm not nodding this to the episode of, 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 of The Next Generation with the same name. But... It really is, it really comes down to a point where, where you finally have watched a show that detaches itself completely from the real life you live in, while yet being reflective enough that you can recognize yourself in it. And you see the potential for the future, and you want to watch it because it gives you fucking hope. Now you watch Star Trek, and you don't know what the fuck you're watching. That's not the same anymore. And, and I do enjoy change to some degree at least, but so vast and so destructive, I would say, that it completely dismembers what Star Trek actually stood for and then becomes just an action flick, is a waste of my time. I don't want to sit there and watch that. I've watched the first two Star Trek movies that J.J. Abrams brought out, or at least the first one I think he directed, uh, the second one I'm not quite sure, and... um, the third one I haven't watched till this day, and I don't want to. <laughs> I don't want to. It's a it's 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 preposterous to me that somebody would even try to keep this shit going. For the sake of money, of course, it's always about money, but for the sake of storytelling, I mean, why would you do that? If you want to take a risk and you want to try out something new, then take. Um, uh, Quentin Tarantino he always wanted to make a Star Trek movie of course he has a completely different point of view on it but he has great respect for the original so let him fucking do it give him the money give him, give him time to make a script give him Bill Shatner for all I care but do something 
with people who actually give a shit about about the the original franchise. Look what Seth MacFarlane has has done with his own Orville series. In in lots of aspects, I mean, I haven't seen that much of it because lack of time and all that, but. At some point, I'm willing to binge-watch everything and be uh, probably positively surprised about his input of what he thinks Trek should be from his memories of what Trek was and then portraying that in his show. And then you come to Star Trek Picard, the latest next-generation future uh, timeline show. And, And I was very, very eager to watch it, but very critical at first. I mean... Just because uh, this this uh, good old bald guy Patrick Stewart reprises his role doesn't mean necessarily that that the show is going to be good. He's not the creative force behind the next generation in the first place. I'm not even sure that he could direct an episode properly. Okay, and maybe he did that once in in the next generation. I personally don't remember. I know that Jonathan Jonathan Frakes did a lot. He also made the movies. Um, uh, the first contact and and the, the the next one, insurrection was it right? That is Jonathan Frakes and first contact to me personally is one of the best, the absolute best Star Trek movies that go a bit overboard with the action and the seriousness because it's a it's a negative topic talking about the Borg and that they finally attack Earth, uh, something we've all been looking forward to and Jonathan Frakes took this chance and made a, an astonishing movie that really um, still stands the test of time, I believe. And uh, even though some fans complained, oh, there's not enough character development, well, you don't need necessarily that much character development after seven seasons of character development in the show. Just give them a movie where they can celebrate how cool it is to be in Star Trek. And to kick some Borg ass, I think that's fair enough. But uh, the J.J. Abrams movies, they just, they they piss all over it. I do like Chris Pine. I think Zachary Quinto is is a great Spock. But is it really, really, really necessary to just take the same chewing gum and chew on it for years and years and years coming by just because you can't get a, a decent fucking idea out of your own ass? I'm personally disappointed in that. You can make a reboot if you think it's necessary, but for fuck's sake, you you have to know exactly what it is that you're doing and not just throwing eye candy to people like Michael Bay and his Transformers movie just for the sake of the money and the action. I could really, really enjoy something else instead. And Star Trek Picard, well, man... (laughs) I'm flabbergasted by what they actually uh, achieved with the show because they haven't achieved much. It feels like they are trying to recapture um, certain moments of what Joss Whedon has done in Buffy and Angel with the humor, the the tongue-in-cheek moments, for example, and some witty and and interesting edgy dialogue, maybe. Uh, Where I have to say Joss Whedon was great in in capturing that and, and pushing the envelope in his own shows back then. I know that a lot of negative stuff is being said about Joss Whedon today, and I'm not going to address that. I'm just addressing what he did back then because the shows, they are quite good. 
not everything, not all of it, not every episode, but the overall product was a very genius uh, creation of so many different talented people. And he was the one pulling the string. So absolutely, I do, I do respect him for actually achieving that. And uh, it, in, in Star Trek Picard, I can't help but seeing uh, some parallels and, and recognize storytelling techniques that were borrowed from Joss Whedon, at least to my, uh, to my opinion. Uh, I would say that it's pretty obvious that somebody tried that. And the necessity for being too edgy in Star Trek is a problem when they start destroying the dialogue by forcing... Uh, by forcing a language onto the viewer that the viewer already knows from his own life. Like the swearing, the cussing, the disrespectful behavior of people, the wanna-be-cool, pseudo-woke bullshit that is going on in movies and TV shows these days. And it's just not good enough. I'm sorry, but it's really pathetic. What, what I miss about the new Star Trek is the... The fact that Star Trek was able to tell you a story while educating you at the same time about race, about gender, about the human rights, about different cultures, about, about homosexuality, about everything, without rubbing it in your face. It was normal. It was a custom. It was typical day-in, day-out Star Trek life. And the way they presented it as, as, as if it was the most normal thing in the world was brilliant. And that's why I love watching it. But now you just have this, this oh, look, uh, you have to see my opinion. You have to understand my opinion. You have to accept it and take it, assimilate it to your own. And if you don't, then you're a probably a right-wing Donald Trump voter. I don't know. It's idiotic. It's, it's so extreme these days. It has nothing to do with storytelling, really. Nobody cares about the fucking story. Everybody is just more uh, concerned about what people think and how they behave and how they should behave just because they think it's the right thing to do. That's not their place to, to, to say or decide. That's one of the reasons why Star Wars is in the shitters. Okay? Maybe not forever, but... Kathleen Kennedy, or whatever her, her name is, she really butchered that franchise pretty badly. Okay? And um, if they want to bring out original ideas on their own, their own material to, to some degree, and just try out new things, okay, fine, do that. But is it really necessary to butcher Luke Skywalker? Now, let, don't get me wrong, I am not a huge Star Wars fan. I, I enjoy the original movies. I love them. They're great. The prequels, well, that's where I start, you know, stepping a bit back. But I would rather watch the prequels again and again instead of the new movies. In comparison, the prequels were a master product, not dialogue-wise, but they were great movies in comparison to the shit that we have to endure now. And um, it's... It's sad, actually, that it, that it came to this. And I am worried about the fact that Disney has become the biggest movie-producing platform in the world. There is no one bigger, not, 
not Amazon as far as I'm concerned, even though they're rich, but if you just take the portion of what they produce movie and TV show wise, it is still not on par to the power that Disney has, okay, including Netflix. Forget Netflix. Netflix is, is in the ball game, but if they don't pay attention, they're going to drop out someday and be, uh, <laughs> be, be irrelevant on the market. And if you just think about it, Disney, Disney made enough money to buy Marvel completely. They bought uh, Fox now, at least. I'm not quite sure legally how far this goes, but they own the franchise of what Fox brought to the table, especially the X-Men franchise. I think all that belongs now to them. And they're probably still working out... Um, what to do with the licenses and how they can use the characters from the original Marvel uh, universe and implement them in their own uh, Disney franchise. And I was astonished when when Disney said, uh, we're going to buy Star Wars. And I knew instantly that this was a bad idea. Now, I don't want to sound too cocky and, you know, act like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm Mr. Know-it-all. Uh, no, that's not what I mean. But, but, but Disney for the sake of, of argument, for the sake of anything that you might believe in, Disney was never really concerned about what the viewer is actually watching. They haven't been since Walt Disney died. And all they knew was we can make money with this kind of family and home entertainment. And they will keep pushing those buttons. And you know exactly as well as I do, they have produced animated features that were horrible just recycled formulas time and time again. And I don't even remember the titles because the movies were shit. Now, fine, the animation quality might be, might be good. I'd still prefer the Japanese animation technique, to be honest. But they, they just kept trying to find a story within that formula to get your money. And that's all they really cared about, not to, to give children a good time. The children were the ones catapulting Disney to a multi-billion dollar industry, you know. And if, if a family member says, oh, I want to watch that movie, come on, mom, dad, and all the others, of course, they go into the theater. Why? It's a family event. They like to spend that money on these products. And these movies are really nothing more than just a product. And Disney knows that very well, and they know exactly how to target their audience. And they thought they know what they were doing when they bought Star Wars. And they started ass-fucking that stuff, and just really... I can't be kind about this. Disney destroyed it. Okay? And it's a miracle, really, that, that you have somebody like uh, uh, Kevin Feige, who is in control of, 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 of the Marvel uh, uh, intellectual property about the creativeness and, and the, the original style of the comics, even if that was changed a little bit. But as long as this guy is in creative control, and just imagine what would happen if, if, if Kennedy, Kathleen Kennedy would be in control of the creative input and output of the Marvel movies. We would have never gotten this far. Forget Endgame, that movie would have never been made. So it's, it's uh, we can enjoy what we have this far. The future still looks kind of grim to me. I might be wrong. I'd like to be positively surprised. But for fuck's sake, uh, 
Nothing seems to be going really that well. And while Star Trek Picard Season 2 is underway, and I heard somewhere online that Season 3 was also in the making, um, John Delancey, who played the Q character back in the old days, is reprising his role, thankfully, um, also stating that he wants, or not that he wants, but they decided for Q to become a bit more sinister and uh, serious and evil instead of the goofy Q that we know from a few uh, TNG and Voyager episodes. Um, that in and of itself is not a bad idea. I do like that. I think Q, because his presence really um, doesn't offer very much uh, much difference or, or variation in, in what a believable, all-powerful godlike creature could be. Well, the only thing I'm pretty afraid of is that they try in the new Star Trek to destroy the Q character somehow with, a, with an idiotic plot line just like in the first season. And uh, the first season gave me nightmares, really. It's just... It's, 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 it's beautiful to see old cast members come back to the show just to reprise their role once again, one final time, before, I don't know, they go off into the sunset or die on screen, we don't know, all right? That's, of course, cool, and I was looking forward to that, to have some warm, fuzzy, nostalgic feeling from these episodes. But I felt betrayed, to be honest. I felt, I felt like a whore sitting there and watching this shit. It's not what I was used to. It's not the quality of Star Trek that I know and love from all these years of watching it, including the classics. But this is an abomination, seriously. And the last final episode of, of, of that season with the copy and paste enterprises that were just flying around in space, go fuck yourself. Who comes up with an idea like that? Jesus. Uh, put some effort into this. I mean, just remember the old days when, when First Contact hit the screen. Do you even remember how many different ships and classes were flying around the, that Borg cube trying to bring it down? That was believable. That was great. You had every ship there. And, and, <laughs> and then you watch the Picard show and all they do is make one ship and copy-paste it all over the place. Why? For what fucking reason? To save time? Nobody gives a shit about the content of that TV show. They just, again, try to make money because Patrick Stewart was probably in a good mood and wanted to get back in, in, into the chair. So now we have all this other shit to take care of. But that's not where it stops, to me, personally. The reboots and remakes are really annoying when people don't know what they're doing, especially in the horror film business, when it all comes down to the great moolah of money, if, if that is the only stake you have, then you gladly invest a few million into a project. And, and the return is maybe 25 million, 30, 35 million at the box office. And you made a success. Nobody cares if the story was good. Some fucking idiot will always go into the theater and just watch something because it's a horror film. And they don't care where it comes from. They don't care who had the idea. They just want to have a good time for two hours with a little bit of money. And that can be troubling to me because I have higher standards. I am sorry, but I don't go in theaters and watch these films anymore. 
at least I can't now anyway. Everything is closed in Germany still. Well, not everything, but I think the, the most part is. Most uh, stores and theaters might be closed. I, to be honest, I haven't really followed this stuff that much. I think COVID is really... It's bad enough when you got it and you suffer from it, but everything else seems to be just fine, at least according to me, from what I, I, I see and, and, and heard. Uh, but that's a different story. I don't want to start on that. I don't want to sound like a conspiracy theorist, so please, let's just uh, skip that. Uh, reboots, yeah. Uh, movies that were, for me personally... Um, one of the more gut-wrenching remakes where I was amazed that the movie actually had such a success was the remake of uh, Dawn of the Dead, the original George Romero masterpiece. And if you've heard my last podcast, you know that I praised George a lot. Romero is just one of those innovative filmmakers who really just wanted to make film for the sake of making film. And not for the sake of becoming a fucking millionaire. I mean, if he would have financial success by um, by making these movies and becoming the respect that he was probably looking for, I'm sure he wouldn't mind getting 10, 20, or 30 million for his, his, his projects. Heck, give him a, a 500 million bucks. I'm sure that he would know what to do with it. But that's not the case. He, he was always concerned about um, his movies being original enough so that he had fun making them. He was always interested that that the idea counted more than, you know, commercial success. And I always ad- admired him for that, you know, especially people like Harold Ramis, um, in, in case you don't know who that is. Um, uh, he unfortunately, I think he died 2014. He was uh, one of the creative minds. Oh, let me get my bottle of... Oh, this chair really pisses me off. I have a bottle of wine here I'm trying to, to finish. And yeah, I'm, I'm always drinking. <laughs> it's, I think I'm an alcoholic by now. Just a second. Mm. Oh, sweet red wine. You can always enjoy a rainy day like that. Ah, where was I? George. Oh yeah. Uh, it, it Dawn of the Dead, when it came out, was a shocking film in 1978. It knocked the people off their chairs with the uh, amount of of violence becoming almost normal after an hour of, of seeing all these heads explode and you know the the squibs <laughs> all these detonating squibs that was kind of fun even if the 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 special effects nowadays you know the, the makeup and all of course it doesn't really look all that appealing i mean the zombies appear to be more blue they they look like smurfs uh, walking around with their heads getting blown off so yeah, there, that is a, um, a down point, but it was, um, you, you still have to see the story for what it is and the analogy of human society and how it's been reflected in the movie, their behavior in, 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 in the shopping mall 
and it's it's a very social critical film and it's true that it should uh, stay that way because uh, George was pretty uh, pretty sophisticated in this manner to tell a story that was socially reflective enough even in Land of the Dead you still had that okay even if it was a bit too much on the nose but I think Dawn of the Dead made the the the, the social criticism about consumerism was just spot on and it was it wasn't in your face but it was so well uh, so well shot and well told that it there were so many sequences that were just very peaceful and you just sit there in, in, in the theater or at least at home in front of your screen and you wonder, you know, uh, what all that stuff means and, and how much you actually recognize of your own world and your behavior uh, in, in, in these movies. And in the remake of Dawn of the Dead, well, you know, I, I watched it a few times. And I have to admit, the movie is well done. It really is. It's it's a it's a great film. It stands out on its own. What I don't like is that the zombies run. Now you can call me old fashioned, but I'm really on George's side here. Zombies just do not run. They don't fucking run. They're dead. What are they supposed to do? I mean, they, they did... That's what I absolutely disliked in, in Dawn of the Dead. I understand that it's more action-packed because of the running and the, this, this unbelievable aggressiveness of these, of these creatures. And I thank the heavens that Walking Dead never turned into one of these idiotic uh, marathon-running zombies. It's, it just makes no sense. If, I know that they're dead and that, that corpses don't come back to life. We all know that. Okay, there is no there is no argument there. But if you want to make a believable story and you you jump into this horror sci-fi element and fantasy where corpses actually come back to life, there is no reasonable logical explanation why these corpses should run a hundred miles an hour, okay, or start jumping like they were uh, Michael Air Jordan on his best days in life, or or uh, you know. Uh, Evil Knievel and his stunts. Give me a break. They, they, they're dead. They wake up for whatever mysterious reason. Only a certain part of their brain works. Why would they be able to run with rotting flesh and muscles that barely work properly and they still have to learn how to move? Okay? And there is no explanation that would make the story even more compelling to convince audiences, oh yeah, sure, next time I die when I wake up, I'm going to lift a car or something, or just to crawl up a building. I hate this shit. They're zombies, let them be dead, let them behave like they're dead, but restless dead, okay? Let them crawl the earth, for fuck's sake. Let them spill their guts on the floor while crawling in, in, in agony or something. It, that's much more interesting to me. Because it's, it has a style that you don't see anywhere else. And George Romero was quite lucky, actually, to, to have achieved that. And he's the only guy, film director, who actually lived the day where he could witness how people uh, remake his films, make their own zombie films, how his ideas have become a completely different genre, or not too different, but a genre on its own and of its own, 
being reused, remade, reshot over and over again, year by year, generation after generation, spawning not only movies, but TV shows, video games, you fucking name it. And he's sitting there and can say, or could say at the time, I started this shit. And that's awesome. It really is awesome. And yeah, for the sake of the argument, of course, there were zombie movies before George Romero's time. But these movies had their own interpretation of what a zombie was. And in most cases, I can't remember the titles of those movies, but I've seen a few um, many years ago, just for comparison reasons or for research, really. Um, It was always about the voodoo magic of you know, some uh, voodoo priest or medicine man, whatever you want to call this guy, uh, a shaman who was able to transform a human being into these mindless, uh, half-dead, half-living creatures like a golem and and reacting on the commands of its master. And uh, they were basically brainless creatures. But they had no impact in, in theaters, and I don't remember really that anybody said, oh man, this movie was one of the greatest films ever made. Uh, the fact is they weren't. They had their, their, their chance, they had their ideas, then Mr. Romero came along and he just perfected that. And he succeeded, and his, his idea automatically became this legendary monster that he created, all on his own almost, even by accident, I have to say. And, uh, well, like I said, uh, Dawn of the Dead, a very successful film, no doubt, but I personally don't like it. (laughs) And I'd like to continue this for a few minutes more to annoy you with with my terrible voice and how I butcher these remakes. Uh, I think Friday the 13th and the Halloween remakes from Rob Zombie and, of course, Nightmare on Elm Street that was remade in 2000. I don't know. I don't want to look it up. I just I have this bottle of wine in my hand. That's the most positive thing I can have right now. I don't want to think about that trash. And I was really looking forward to some of these remakes for, well, actually... Um, I was curious. I was. I. I just wanted to satisfy my, my my curiosity by 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 asking the question: Can they actually produce a good reboot in any shape or form? And the answer is no. They couldn't. Um, the Rob Zombie films were probably the most promising ones from all of these films. The Friday remake with God knows who played Jason. Um, uh, the mask and everything was just well done. And I, Jason Voorhees is, up to this day, um, my absolute favorite fantasy horror serial killer of all time. I just love this guy. The reason is quite simple, actually. I, I do um, admire Hellraiser's Pinhead, or Clive Barker's Pinhead, played by Doug Bradley, by the way, one of the, a superb fine guy. Um... I do admire what Robert England brought to the table for Freddy. He's the only true Freddy that there will ever be, really, for me personally. And I also like Michael Myers quite a lot, but Jason just takes the cake for me. And the reason is because he doesn't say anything. I think it's more menacing and threatening 
to find a killer that really does everything with his body language and is true to his nature of killing. And he goes to his victims. He plays with them a little bit, hunts them down. But he, he cleans up. You know? <laughs> all these miserable teenage idiots, they all deserve to die. We all know that. That's why we watch these films. And he goes through their like like a machine until he finds an adversary that he can fight. And uh, he just comes, he, he cleans up, he kills, he goes. No word spoken. I like that. It's just what I want to watch. <laughs> it makes a lot of sense. I don't want to talk to my victims all the time. You kidding me? I don't want to talk them into their graves. I want to see that they get there. That's why I'm the killer. That's why I like Jason. I'm not really a killer, of course, but that's the point. And even though Robert England and, you know, Freddie just being the sarcastic, torturous guy playing with his victims, that's a different style, of course. And you have to add a personality into this, to, to this character to make it menacing in a dream world and strange and weird and twisted at the same time. You can't really just portray somebody who doesn't speak. In Jason, it works just fine. And sometimes the mask does more magic than the actual guy behind the mask. But um, in, in, in Freddy, you can't really tell a story like that with the same guy if he doesn't open up his mouth. And uh, Hellraiser, the same. I mean, Pinhead is like the negative version of Jesus Christ. He's the guy who brings you joy through pain. And he wants to see you get there. And he has all the time in the world or in the afterlife to give you that experience. And he's going, he has the patience to preach about it for years until he finally has you by the balls and pulls you down to hell. That's also something you can't really tell with a character that doesn't open up his mouth. But yeah, well, I do enjoy Jason a hell of a lot. Mm. Some wine left, guys. Yeah, I have no class. I drink directly from the bottle. I'm sorry. <laughs> I have I have no etiquette. I don't know what I'm doing. Somebody has to stop me now. Well, um, what was I going to say now? Oh, yeah, the reboot of Friday the 13th. I saw it in theaters. I was negatively surprised. I always admired Jason the most, like I said before, and I wanted to see something really cool. But the reboot, you know, I was afraid of that. I was afraid that they would just butcher it up, that just mess up the franchise once again. I never really quite understood why they wanted to make Jason more of a physical... Ah, he behaves like a monkey. He behaves like Leatherface from Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Just running around, going completely crazy, behaving like a lunatic. And that's not Jason. Why would you do that? I mean, there's no... Just because he can make traps and all that and has a tunnel system somewhere underground to hide his, his victims, kidnap them or torture them or something like that, or just, you know, hide himself pretending to play house with his mom... It, it 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 it's not appealing enough for me to keep watching. Um, the killings were great. Some actors just got really butchered there, and and the effects were, even though CGI enhanced, they were awesome. 
at least most of them were. But uh, like I said, this is not Jason for me. That that was Leatherface in the reimaginative version of him with a with a hockey mask. But it's not Jason Voorhees. And um, I think, if anything, they should stop making the reboots for any horror film franchise. The series of the Friday movies are gigantic. They're just huge. Okay? And I would just add another movie right there. Just make another Friday sequel, make an original story. Uh, a backwood slasher, make it somewhere in downtown New York again, or uh, Chicago, for all I care, in Russia. I don't care, just put Jason on the map, let him go berserk. I want to see that. But no more Jason Goes to Space, please. I think we had one movie there, and that is enough. And uh, I will talk at some point in the future more about all of these Friday films, because I'm really into this shit. And I've watched all of them many times. And I'd like to count these movies down uh, to my uh, the worst movies of the series up to my favorite movies of the series. And which one of these films is my absolute favorite. But that's a different story and I don't want to pack it all in into here. I already talked 50 minutes in here. <laughs> I should keep it short, I'm sorry. But... Uh, you know, the uh, reboot of of uh, Nightmare on, on, on Elm Street pissed me off quite severely. Uh, I'm not as much of a gigantic Freddy fan as I am of the other characters, but Freddy is still a very likable and interesting, intriguing character in a, in a, in a dream world that you haven't seen before. And, and Wes Craven did a fantastic job of bringing this character to life and actually coming up with the idea is just brilliant. But butchering this this movie, what was so disappointing to me, there were two things that personally, I need more wine, I'm sorry. My throat is thirsty. There are two things that piss me off the most. Red, red wine. No, I'm not going to sing. So, uh, the story itself... In, in, in comparison to the original uh, uh, Friday uh, uh, Nightmare movie, uh, no, I'm not drunk. I'm, 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 I'm not getting there. I'm just sipping the wine. Don't worry. In comparison to the original Nightmare film, they, uh, they haven't tried very hard to be imaginative enough in reinventing the material. They pretty much copied the movie at least with the killings, the characters, the, the setup, the scenery, they just polished it a little bit to make it look more like the, the, the 2000s and uh, just modernizing it visually with a different Freddy, of course, as well, and a different uh, you know, uh, mask and all that. But that said, they didn't really put much effort into everything else. When you watch this movie, you know exactly what is going to happen. There are no surprises. And that's disappointing, because in the old Freddy movies, even in the the, the worst ones like uh, the Final Night, uh, the the yeah the the Final Nightmare, uh, where Freddy is supposed to be dead, uh, one of my favorite movies to be honest, because it's a very goofy film, but it also it's also very imaginative that movie. And what I do like about that, especially in in all of these films, 
If you watch them over and over again, the transition from being awake to asleep was always carefully chosen so that the audience could still be surprised sometimes. And that was a crucial part of the storytelling to not being able to know when it's going to be a dream and when the actor is awake. And that was a magic for me that still worked in most of the movies. And in the new film, oh, for Christ's sakes, I mean, uh, you just know exactly what's going on. It's not only a copy of, of the original material, it's also just very lazy in, 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 in pre, uh, presenting the so-called nightmare threat. And that's where I just almost shut the movie off. I just, uh, I wasn't in the theaters. I watched it. I borrowed the movie and watched it at home. And I wish I never spent the money for it. I was really disappointed. And what really pissed me off the most, and that's my last argument for, for today about these, these uh, shitty remakes. Again, it's a bit about politics here. Something that, that bugged me. Because they wanted to make uh, Freddy Krueger a child molester, not a child killer. And a child molester is, ooh, that's really where I have to draw the line here. That's, that is, it's, it's not a no-go, really. You can, of, of course, invent a character, a killer that is threatening, disgusting, sickening, and menacing just to, just to get to some point to underline the danger here and present that in theaters if you know how to tell a good story, it's fine, you can use that material. I understand that. What I don't like about this is that the original Freddy uh, character was never depicted as being a uh, sexual pervert. He killed kids, but everything else was left for your imagination. They might have brought some hints here and there for being this, this crazy... Uh, child-obsessed killer, but there was never really that that moment when you said, yeah, he, he molests them. And, and I was thankful for that because these movies, he was threatening because he wanted to kill them. And making him just this disgusting creature by saying, oh yeah, I, I take naughty pictures of them. And that's how they presented him in, in, in the remake. That pretty much destroys the original magic of the movies by making him... Uh, it's like they, 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 they took a glorious killer, someone who had a sick mind, sure, of course, but they took him and dismembered him and made them this little pervert pig, and that's it. That's all Freddy was. And I, I thought, you got to be shitting me. This is it. Just because these, these topics, the real-life events that tragically happen in families all over the world, just because that has become a topic in the media doesn't mean you have to squeeze it into a film to, to ruin an old character and try just be, just because somebody believed this is a good idea doesn't mean that you have to do it, okay? Again, I'm talking about people who have no fucking clue how to make a remake nor how to make movies. And it pisses me off. It's You can make movies and reflect real-life tragic stories it's okay, but don't make it in a reboot if you really have no idea what you're doing. Because that really, that was the final straw for me where I almost stopped watching movies for a long time. Because that was just below the belt, it was unnecessary, and it's, it's, it's cheesy, lazy writing. 
It just, it, it takes, like I said, it takes away the magic of this fantastic, vilified character and you just make him a pervert. And that is just, that's a sick fucking idea. I really don't want to know what Robert England thinks of this shit. And then the audacity by saying in, in, in interviews that the old Freddy Krueger mask looked more like a pizza than really like a burn victim. Yeah, I'm not quite sure about that. I have actually seen pictures of burn victims. And if the burnings are fresh and the flesh is exposed, you do look like Freddy Krueger in the old movies. Okay? What you saw in the remake was scarred tissue in the face. That's different. Uh, that is not a fresh burn victim. That is somebody who has survived a tragic burn accident. But the guy is dead. Okay? He's a demon sort of... Maybe not really demon, but, you know, that's the kind of thing. I think that is a bit illogical to put it out there and to praise yourself as being a more uh, a, a more mature version of the Freddy Krueger character and the franchise. Uh, I hate people like that. <laughs> Just, it pisses me off so much. It It makes no fun to watch movies these days. It's well. I think there are some movies that actually do uh, make me giggle a little bit, like the the Godzilla movies that Hollywood has been brought, uh, pushing out. Of course, they're mindless and stupid movies. I mean, the dialogue, the 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 action, the the formula. We've all seen this stuff time and time again. But I do like Godzilla. I know the movie is shit, but it's entertaining for a few minutes where I can shut my mind off and not think about politics or not think about somebody who was trying to force his vision up, uh, upon you and to believe his agenda and, and political mayhem madness and, and, and instead just watch some fantasy creature walking around going berserk. It's a lot less stressful if you know what I mean. But to each their own, of course, if you want to watch something else, you will always find something entertaining somewhere, somehow. But the horror film business, well, I have to look into that. There are many movies that I haven't seen before, that I haven't uh, investigated in, that I haven't seen any trailers of, no nothing. And quite frankly, I was just preoccupied with work and I don't watch that many films these days. But when my Beamer is here, my projector and the movie screen, I'm going to pick up on that. Well, that's it for now. Um, I am... Looking forward to a Twitter account that I'd like. I, I think I have one. <laughs> I'm not sure where, but maybe I can revive that. And I'd like to link it with the, uh, with the podcast in case anybody wants to contact me somehow or give me a message because I've, I've noticed a handful of people have listened to this garbage <laughs> online which makes me kind of happy, you know. Finally, somebody, <laughs> somebody's tuning in. Uh, if you want to give me your stuff, your your crap, and uh, you want to flame me to death by telling me how miserable I am or how pathetic my podcast is, yeah, go ahead. You go right ahead. Make my day. But uh, if you have something nice to say or maybe uh, uh, suggestions or some questions, I'd be happy about that too. So I'm looking forward to put that in the link and looking forward to maybe uh, 
anybody who is looking for a conversation or maybe just, you know, give me some feedback and ideas. If there's something I like and find intriguing, I'd like to talk about that too. No problem. Up until then, I will keep drinking this bottle and keep working on my shelf. As usual, stay safe. Be happy. Use the time you have wisely for projects that you couldn't have been doing otherwise. And I'll see you or hear you or talk to you sometime later. Take care and bye-bye.